Good morning, everybody. It is so good to be back here at the Highlands. It um, just has a special place in my heart for those of you who I haven't met. I'm Pastor Laurel Bunker, and I have the honor of serving on the teaching team in the Aspen Grove Network. So I rotate between the Highlands, Mercy Hill, and uh, Woodridge. And I get to be here with you this weekend as we continue our journey uh, in, and round the corner on the book of Ephesians. You know, as I was driving, and I live close to the state capitol, and I was driving in this morning, and you all know there's all kind of construction, so Highway 12 does its own thing. So as I was going over the river and through the woods and <laughs> all through things, it was just, I was marveling on what a beautiful day it was. Like the sky was just completely blue, and the rain has just greened things up. And then I got to the, the Delano city limits, and all of a sudden I couldn't see. I was like, <laughs> I was like, where did the blue sky go? There was just complete fog, and I could hardly see the next car in front of me. And I thought, interesting, Lord. Interesting metaphor for where we're going today in the book of Ephesians. I want you to think about that. How many of you have been walking with the Lord, uh, things are going great, and all of a sudden you feel sideswiped by something? I mean, literally something has happened where you're like, Lord, I'm, I'm tithing, I'm offering, I'm praying, I'm serving, I'm doing these things, and all of a sudden something hits you from behind, or all of a sudden your spiritual vision is impaired. You cannot see what is happening and what is going on in front of you. Brothers and sisters, that is Ephesians chapter 6. It is essentially telling us that while there are certainly things, gifts of comfort, blessing, things that God wants us to have, we also have an enemy that wants us to become so unaware and so oblivious to the war that we're in that when he comes and sideswipes us, we can't see, but more than we can't see, we can't respond. Fortunately, I have not only a smart car, but I have the vision to be able to see. I know when to slow down. I know when to respond when things change. How many of you know we need to learn how to respond when the seasons change? And as we watch the world around us right now, the seasons are changing. The seasons are changing toward believers. The seasons are changing toward people being willing to allow us to have the gospel. But how many of you know it is why we need to stand up more than ever before and put on the full armor of God? This is not a time to shrink back. This is time for us, nor is it a time to be operate in anger. The spirit of the living God on the inside of us compels us to love as we fight. It's one of the things I love most about the gospel. It is the most radical, upside-down way of talking about things, which is why we've got to stay in that word. So let's pray. Let's pray and set our minds and our hearts aright as we um, kind of complete this task of wrestling through Ephesians, and, uh, and then we'll get into it. And so, Lord, we praise you and we thank you as brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for this dear family, these brothers and sisters here at the Highlands. We thank you for Aaron as our pastor, and we thank you for all of the team members who are here who just love and serve in the name of Christ. God, thank you for increasing and enlarging the territory of the Highlands. What a blessing to hear that we've increased our, our children, our infants through, um, through grade five, Lord, and just in terms of the number of children. That means families are hungry. People are looking for a foundation of truth. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that you're using the highlands. And so, Lord, bless, um, bless particularly our teachers in early childhood today. Lord, bless the people who are working with the buddies um, bless those who are coming in, some who might be in here for the first time, just saying, what is this place all about? Lord, may your spirit reside and reign here. And as, um, as you're ministering and speaking to each one of us about how we can serve our children, 
Lord, help us to remember that the church should be the safest place in the world for children. That this ought to be a place where children are served and cared for and loved and where they can grow in their understanding of who they are in Christ. So bless them, bless us, and Lord, hide me behind your cross that this word of God would penetrate hearts and would help us to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, I just as we go through um, this portion, probably one of the most famous portions of the book of Ephesians, I just want to go back and recap a couple of things because I think the context is incredibly important in understanding the gospel. So let's go back to remember how and where Paul is, how Paul is writing to this church called Ephesus and where it began. It's important that we remember that Ephesus was a, was a huge city. It was a port city and was the epicenter of worship for most of the gods of the Greek and Roman world. Imagine Times Square. Imagine that this, this place, this port city where all of Asia Minor would come through this place. And so they would come to trade. Uh, they would come for various kinds of governmental and, uh, meetings. It was a place of extraordinary power. But it was also a place where anything that can be worshipped could be worshipped. Here on one side, if you can imagine, was the temple of Artemis. She was the goddess of, uh, of war. She was the goddess of harvest. And there were people that would be in there just chanting and bowing down to these various images of Artemis. Here you would have a colossal library because you'd have the Epicureans and those who love to think and philosophize. And in between that, you'd have some dotted places. Maybe you'd have multiple temples to other lesser gods. And then you'd have a giant coliseum for the running of horses and other gatherings. And you'd have the local municipalities who would have huge uh, bacchanalias and other kind of grotesque things that would happen there. And it was to this place and in this place that God chose to call Paul. Not in a small, simple town, but he called him there. So it's like Pastor Aaron coming and standing before you to say, you know what, Highlands, we're going to start a branch in, uh, in Times Square. And you'd be like, go for it, Pastor Aaron. We'll see you when you get back, right? But God, in his wisdom, knew something. And I want you to get a hold of this. One of the points that I also want to make is for over two years, Paul had a very effective missionary presence in Ephesus through which many people came to Christ. What does that tell you? Though there were all of these places where people could worship as they wanted to, they were not getting filled. How many of us know there's lots of things in our lives that we can worship? Money, wealth, relationships, status, but those things run dry. And Paul was placed in this giant place where people realize that all their bowing to Artemis, all the horse races in the world, all the conversations with Stoics and Epicureans were not filling their longing hearts. And Paul stood, one small man, saying, I understand the lure of power. I was a Jew of Jews. I was a zealot. I was there when the Christ that I'm preaching to you was crucified, and I actually took on the joy of killing and, and imprisoning his people. I was blinded by my own wealth and what I had, but now I stand before you a slave of Christ. And for hours, Paul would stand in this place and he would preach, and people came longing, broken, desperate, weary from worshiping idols and gods that did not worship and love them back. 
So for two years, Paul built up this multi-ethnic church of people. And I want to reiterate to you, as I've said before, the church ought to be the most thriving, most diverse body of anybody in the entire world. We were called and created to be a global church. And because of the blood of Jesus, all who have said yes to Jesus Christ are your brothers and sisters. I will say it every time I'm in front of you. If you and I have accepted Jesus Christ, you are closer to me than my own blood brothers and sisters that do not believe. We're related, but we are not beloved together. And that's why I'm praying for them. But we are family. And you've got brothers and sisters on every continent, in every place, in every space, and so when we go, no matter where you are in the world, you ought to be able to step into a place and by the power of the Holy Spirit discern that you are with family. And I believe and speak that this place is going to continue to push the walls wide open as people are coming from Orono and other places to say, where is the church of the living God? They're going to find themselves in these seats among you as God's holy people. This place is a sacred place where God is moving. Well, we know Paul had an incredible experience. He grew the church there. But Paul was also one that the Romans could not stand. And we know that he was imprisoned by the Romans for quite some time. And years later from prison, from the discomfort of prison, he wrote the letter to the gathering of the saints, this multi-ethnic band of people in Ephesus. The book of, Ephes of Ephesians is essentially two parts. Chapters 1 through 3 is the gospel story. It is where Paul recounts to the believers at Ephesus what Jesus Christ has, uh, has actually done. He's exploring the gospel and how all of history has come to its climax in Jesus and how this multi-ethnic community of followers have become who they are. So he starts in Genesis, and all the way through, he talks about how through, uh, through God's agency and through all of this time, he then finally sent his son, and his son then grafted in not just the Jews but the Gentiles and made this one family out of two. And then the second part of Ephesians talks about now, now that he's made us this big family, now how do we live? How do we operate? How do we keep our church going in a secularized world? How do we stand in the midst of public school struggles? How do we stand in the midst of a world that mocks our faith? How do we stand up? It's the same question that Paul addressed here. How the gospel impacts how we should now live in the light of the first part of the story, in community and in all of our relationships. One of the people that I love and respect most is a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe many of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an incredible man who uh, came to know Christ while he lived in Germany, uh, became someone who was a, a dissenter of the work of Adolf Hitler, and started to be a part of creating a movement to actually come against Nazism. He was quite effective. But before he uh, got to that place and eventually gave his life for it, he was executed and hung for his, um, his coming against the Nazi regime, he built a lot of relationships in and through people and became a discipler of the church and helping people to understand the reality, the cost of discipleship. In fact, probably one of Bonhoeffer's most seminal works is called The Cost of Discipleship. And as he talks about that, he talks about the fact that Christianity is not simplistic, it's not soft and gooey around the edges. It is um, a, a stand that we must take as global believers to fight against the supernatural powers of the enemy, not against one another. 
But it's not just fighting against one another that we need to cease from doing. It's making sure that we recognize that these bodies, brothers and sisters, will go into decay. Too often we feed our flesh and we starve our spirit. We need to be feeding our spirit and starving our flesh. And one of the things that Bonhoeffer says, he said, when all is said and done, the life of faith is nothing if not an unending struggle of the spirit with every available weapon against the flesh. So this spirit man that's inside of us, when we said yes and said, Lord, I want to be born again, come into my heart, be my Savior and Lord, something new was born in us. So we've got to feed that new one in Christ. We can't just give birth. You never just give birth to a baby and say, okay, you have a good life. You feed that baby and you watch that baby grow and you, you do the things that are appropriate to growth. And how many of you know when a child is not growing according to the standards, you say something's not right. We don't go out to a cornfield and expect to have apple trees. We know that when we do the right things, we expect to see a yield. Brothers and sisters, if you're in the word, if you're walking in the word, if you're crucifying the flesh, there ought to be fruit that's coming out of your life. Somebody ought to know Jesus or be closer to Jesus because they're in your proximity. And if they're not knowing Jesus, we need to ask ourselves why. Are we just too uncomfortable? Are we using the I'm an introvert thing? It's not my deal. Listen, if the gospel is the best news in the world, then why aren't we sharing it? If the gospel was power enough to change you and have you sit in this chair, what makes you think that if you opened your mouth and shared the gospel, it wouldn't have somebody else sitting in this chair? Do you realize that the gospel is an eternal plan? This is, this is not patty caking. There are people living and dying right now without the hope of Jesus. People are turning to opioids and other things. As I've said to you, I sit on the board of, many, of a Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. I see people dying from fentanyl every single day. Every day. That stuff is not just coming from the places we can blame wherever. It's coming from the south. It's coming from here. It's coming from Satan. It's coming to attack people's sensibilities and the pain that people are feeling. Brothers and sisters, God has saved you to cause you to be an agent of change. I don't care if you're introverted. I don't care if you don't want to talk to anyone and you want to batten down the hatches. You better tear that stuff off and you better open your heart and say, listen, there are some people who aren't going to know the gospel unless I share it. Period. There, is, there are people that are in your sphere of influence who just need you to say, hey, do you want to come to church with me? Hey, do you want to come to church with me? Ten words. <laughs> Let's go play golf. Talk about Jesus, man. This is where I used to be. Yep, I mean, I understand. Like, invite them to church. What if they don't want to come to church? I understand that too. I don't know anyone, including myself, who hasn't been church hurt. Christians will make you crazy. Anyone ever realize that, like, amen, can I get an amen? amen? Sometimes you want to take your shoe off, like, listen, I don't want to, you just want to run, run and, and not come back. But the reality is hurting people hurt people. But we've got to be gracious to one another and grow up in the things of God. And we've got to recognize, guys, that this is a battle that we're in. And of course, Satan is going to test us. Our faith is going to be tested because God needs us to grow up. And Satan is going to test it because he wants to make sure that we quit. Either way. We can't quit. We've got to keep going because somebody needs to know Jesus Christ. So what Bonhoeffer is saying here is, listen, 
if there is nothing else that you need to hear, this life that we are living is a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Let's make sure that the spirit wins. Let's make sure that the spirit wins, that when we're, when all is said and done, that we are not spiritual infants, that we are not babies in the spirit, but that we're growing up in the things of God. Amen? So let's hit Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 hard. This is what Paul is saying as he is writing to the Ephesians. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Isn't that good news right there? Not your mighty power, not the mighty power of Aaron, his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me go back to that first word in verse 10. Finally finally tells us that there was something else that Paul was saying before he got to this point. And if you go back and you read all of, uh, verse, all of chapter 5, you'll see that Paul is talking to them, to the Ephesians, about their relationships. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, obey your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Right? Slaves, obey your masters. He's talking about ensuring that the relationships that we have are in right order. Why might that be? How many of you recognize and know that when the enemy wants to come at you, when the enemy wants to attack me, he'll bring dissension between me and my husband? He'll, and if he can't get to us, he'll try to get to my children. He'll try to get to my mama heart when somebody attacks my children. When my kids don't get after they've tried hard or they've done the right things, when they don't get what they want, right? The flesh wants to rise up. The flesh wants to respond. The flesh wants to fight. The flesh wants to try to make its argument. What Paul is saying here is that your relationships, your God-ordained relationships are important. Men of God, whether you know it or not, God has made you the captain of the ship called your household. And you have got to be aware of the fact that the enemy would love nothing more than to get you to look this way while he's coming in this way. He would love nothing more than for your wife to wonder about your faithfulness. He would love nothing more than for you to get distracted by your friendships, to not pray over your families. He'd love nothing more than for you to get off course. The reality is, kings, we need you to be on post. Wives, we've got to learn some things. We've got to learn some things about trusting and being in relationship. I'm not going to use the S word. Submission. I'm not going to use it, but I said it. I know some of you are gagging right now as I'm speaking. But the reality is, I don't have a problem submitting to my husband because my husband is godly. Submitting to him doesn't mean that he gets to tell me everything to do. That would be a problem for him. But the reality is, <laughs> that'd be a big problem. <laughs> he wouldn't get very far. <laughs> 
Um, I'd be like, babe, that's a good idea, but you just need to have a seat. But the reality is, because we are one, because I trust him, because I didn't marry him out of desperation, because he is my friend, because he is my warrior, what he says, I'm like, okay, let's talk about it, and let's get on my prayer. When, because I know the character of my husband, submission's not a problem. You won't have a problem submitting to a man you can trust. And if you don't trust him, you better have a conversation with God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and your pastor, and figure that out. Because if you have children in it, then the enemy wants to get to those kids. We need to pray, particularly as we are getting our kids back into these schools. And if our kids are going into these public schools, I just was praying with a teacher who was crying her eyes out because the public schools can be incredible places of darkness for our kids. Incredible places where to be a Christian gets mocked. You better pray over your children before they go back into those schools. My mother taught for 40 years in the Minneapolis public schools, lost nine children who were murdered during those years. I know all about the school systems. I've taught in school systems and reached out in school systems. You need to trust and pray as you send your kids. Don't let your kids go uncovered into those schools. Pray over your children. Lock eyes with your children and teach your children that they have a right to know, love, and serve the king in their school. I'd rather have my kid get kicked out for praying than for fighting. Pray on, children. Pray on. Because the reality is, is we are in a world where they have got to learn that their spiritual battle is not with their fists. It's in the spirit realm. So Paul is saying, listen, make sure that all the cracks in your foundation are filled. One of the things that the summer brings is mice. Anyone else had that? I feel like we are at Menards all the time (laughs) because those little jokers will find a way. You think your home is locked up tight, and the next thing you see, pew, Jerry the mouse goes running across the stage, right? The reality is it only takes a tiny hole for a mouse or a rat to get in. How many of you know that's true? You've got to recognize that that's how the enemy operates, beloved. He's looking for the hole. He's looking for the place where, you're, where there's a, a crack in the foundation. Fill the cracks. Fill the places. Pray for your families. Be on guard and be on watch. Not in fear, but full of faith to say, not in this house. He's going to have to go somewhere else because he can't get in. This is like Fort Knox and better because the king of all creation rests over me and I rest over my family and my family believes in the Lord God Almighty. We have got to lock things down and make sure that we are standing firm. If you're a single person, you ought to be surrounded by people of faith. We ought to make sure that men and women who are operating and singleness are not isolated. We can get uh, so marriage eccentric in the church that we act like singleness is a problem. Singleness is a gift, believe me, (laughs) y'all. How many of you could say amen and hallelujah, right? But let's make sure our single, widowed brothers and sisters have family in the body. Amen? If they don't have someone with them, then walk with them. This is who we are. This is what we signed up for, to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is what Paul is saying. After you make sure that everything is as it should be, that your relationships are as they should be, and if they're not, there's this sweet thing called an apology, this very simple thing called repentance, these two words called I'm sorry, Maybe three, I messed up. Maybe two other ones, my bad. 
Whatever it is, you can say it. It won't hurt you. And it goes a long way to fill the cracks in a relationship. Are y'all with me? Okay, I know you're hungry, but you know, you're going to be all right. All right, listen. So this is what Paul is saying. Fill the gaps. Fill the cracks. Make sure that you're in right relationship. Because if you're not, the enemy's going to look for the hole. And so he says, after you've done that, be strong in the Lord and then put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, his tactics, his tricks. The word of God says that we don't need to be ignorant of the devil's devices, which means that we've already been given the devil's playbook in and through the word of God. God has shown us this is how he's going to operate. This is how he's going to show up. This is where he's going to come at you. And how many of you know the way that Satan comes at me may be very different than the way that he comes at you? How many of you are very aware of the button in your life that Satan tries to push? How many of you would say, yep, wave me like, I know exactly what he would try to do to me. Okay, that's your point of prayer. God, you know that this is a place of tenderness for me, and I need you in the name of Jesus to help me to put on my full armor of God. What are the pieces of the full armor of God that Paul is talking about? He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right there, he gave us four layers of spiritual tactics in which the enemy operates. We so often just talk about the devil, but you need to recognize that there are legions, legions of enemies who are headed by Satan. Believe me, if you had an interaction with Satan, you would know you don't want it if you're not ready. You've probably had to deal with imps and other things, but just like in our natural uh, military where we have levels, so does the spirit realm. We have spirit realms of angels and there are spirit realms of demons. And believe me, you want to be able to stand even if your knees are knocking. So we said, listen, there are four levels of devils that are going to try to get in your way and get you to quit. That is why you're putting on the full armor of God. He said, therefore, put it on so that when the day of evil comes, just like today as I was driving in and the skies were blue, and then that metaphor came where all of a sudden I cannot see, when the day of evil comes, when the attack comes, and it will, what did the word of God tell us in Isaiah? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. The weapons will come but they will not prosper. Why? Because you're going to stand ready. You're going to be ready, standing guard, on your job, eating, whatever you're doing, you're going to be ready because your spirit man is not an infant, but a grown man or woman in God. And just like I knew to slow down, just like I knew to look for the headlights of the person in front of me, just like I could listen to the GPS, you need to listen to your captain. You need to slow down. You need to say, God, what's the strategy? You need to show me, Lord, what the enemy is. Teach me how to pray. Holy Spirit, you said that we've got a great cloud of witnesses. Help me. So the more that you're aware of the spirit realm, the more that you can respond rightly. I'm not saying Satan's behind every tree, but he certainly is behind the things that we see that are in this world. So we put on the full armor of God. What does it say? Stand firm then with the belt of truth. Just like you take off the spiritual, the natural clothes that you have on and wash them, I want you to put your spiritual armor on after you get dressed every day. 
Lord, I put on the belt of truth today. Help me not to lie to people, even if it would be easier. Help me not to take the easy way out, but help me to speak the truth in love. And help me, Lord, help my words be seasoned with salt. Lord, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why do we put on that breastplate? Because that breastplate carries and protects the heart. There is nothing that the enemy would like more than to take a dagger and go straight for your heart. Because if the heart stops, everything else stops. The word of God says, guard your hearts, for out of our hearts flow what? The issues of life. The issues of life, the things that are most sensitive to you are in your heart. So you have got to have it covered so that when the enemy comes for you, and he's always going to go for your vital organs, that's what it was meant for. That breastplate of righteousness was meant a full piece of metal to protect your vital organs. And remember that the full armor that they were given had no backing. Warriors don't run. There was no backing, but their front was covered from up here all the way down to their waist where that belt of truth would continue to keep things up and covered. Guard your heart, for out of your heart flow the issues of life, that helmet of salvation. God, I thank you that I have the mind of Christ and I think his thoughts. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that, that you have given me a fine mind and I thank you that I know that I'm a son and daughter of the Most High God. I thank you that I know who I am in you, that even when the enemy would whisper and lie to me, I thank you that I know who I am in you. How many of you know that every thought that you think is not your own? That is why we've got to be careful about the things that we watch, the songs that we sing, the things that we have going on in our lives. Right now, there's a very interesting debate for those of you who have teenagers or those of you who are Beyonce fans. I'm not going to talk about you from this stage. For those of you who are Beyonce fans, I am not. There's a song that she wrote called Church Girl. Any of you heard about this? She just wrote a song that was released called Church Girl, where she's talking about church girls finding more joy in the club than they do in the church. And what I love is that young church women are rising up and saying, she doesn't speak for us. But we're so sorry, young women of the church, that the church hasn't been a place where you could feel safe. And instead, you're going to other places or being double in your mind. Listen, let's be mindful of that and let's pray for people like Beyonce because her following right? The beehive, as they call it, right? For Queen Bay, the beehive is quite ferocious. But how many of you know she needs salvation too? Put me in a room with Beyonce and Oprah. Watch what happens. <laughs> Somebody going to get saved and write a check in Jesus' name. <laughs> Give me some money. Right, they're going to get saved. Watch. All right. Shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Everywhere that you go, Menards, Mills, Fleet Farm, wherever you're going, you ought to be picking up everywhere you go ought to be holy ground for the enemy. When you walk in, people ought to know the atmosphere ought to shift because you walked in the room. That's not pride. That's power. That's the Holy Spirit on the inside of you where someone says, wait a minute, what just happened? Like that fog that descended, something ought to clear when you walk in the room, woman of God. Someone ought to say, she carries herself different. How come she doesn't gossip? How come she doesn't? Because I'm a lover of Jesus. Because I'm trying to get to heaven. Because I was once the person people talked about, but now I'm free in Jesus Christ. Am I talking to anybody in here? God wants us to be free. Take up ground everywhere that you walk. What does he say? Finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to know the word of God. The word of God says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But if we're not in the word, how can we know the truth? 
Right now we see that a lot of times truth looks like a lie or what we see is something called relativism. Well, if it's good for you, it's good for you. Well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. No, no, there is a truth. And never be afraid to tell people that there is a truth. There's not all ways or multiple ways lead to the kingdom. No, ma'am, no, sir. One way. Jesus said that there is one way. And I thank God that he made that way open for each one of us on the cross of Calvary that we could all have a wide open space and walk across those broad shoulders that separated us once and for all. And now we have a relationship with, with God forever and eternity because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So you've got to know the word. And I want you to remember what Jesus taught us. Do you remember that when Jesus was fighting, he didn't fight by, by flexing his celestial muscles. Jesus wasn't like, you don't know who I am? You don't remember who my daddy is? Jesus didn't do any of that. Three words that he spoke. Anyone remember what those words were? It is, yes, and it is written. Do you remember when he came out of 40 days and 40 nights and Satan began to tempt him? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written. It is written because there is power in the word. And there is power in Jesus who is the living word. Beloved, if you don't hear anything else from me today, get in the word of God. You don't want to read it? Then have somebody read it to you. You don't want to have somebody else read it to you? Then listen to it. But you have got to get the word on the inside of you. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I will not sin against you. You cannot fight without knowing who he is, and you will not know who he is without the word. And if you don't know what the word of God is, you're not going to stand. And if you're not going to stand, then I'm wondering what we're doing. You've got to know the word of God. This is why we fight the good fight of faith. You've got to know the word. So when Satan comes against you and says, you're not anything, or you're just like this person, you're just like that, you're a failure, you can say, it is written that I am a peculiar person. I'm a part of a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation, Satan. You're talking to the wrong person. You need to be gone from me in the name of Jesus. I have full power. The blood of Jesus is against you. Know who God is. Know who Jesus is. Know who the Holy Spirit is. Know who the great cloud of witness is. Know who's fighting for you and who's fighting against you and be able to discern the difference. Y'all with me? We may not be in a constant battle, but we must constantly be ready for battle. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaming lion, seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Don't ask me why, but I am amazed by and watch regularly all kind of things from Alaskan people to whatever, the people who, the crocodile hunters and all that stuff. I'm just fascinated with that kind of stuff. Have you ever noticed what they say, that if you ever come in the presence of a bear, what do you do? You make yourself larger. You make yourself larger in the presence of an opponent. You may feel small, but when you have the full armor of God on, when you know who you are in Christ, Instantly, you make yourself larger in your, the face of your opponent. 
the lies of the enemy, make yourself larger. In other words, make yourself larger in and through the gospel. Speak, it is written. Put that full armor of God on. Make sure the cracks are filled. Stand firm in the gospel. Love one another. Operate in forgiveness. Because when you do, you close all the entrances that the enemy would try to have and come in. And when he does come in, you will be ready because you will have stood up. The word finally says, the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Anyone want to be strong, firm, and steadfast in their faith? I know I do. To him be power and glory forever and ever. All right, five things and I'll let you go to Culver's. All right, yeah, hallelujah. Right, Culver. All right, here we go. Number one, I've already said it, armor up fully. The full armor isn't as helpful if you leave one piece behind. You need all of it, including that shield of faith, which would go from the top of someone's head all the way down to their feet. Know that the armor that God has given you is an armor that will only fit you. If you remember when David was going out to fight against Goliath, Saul tried to take his armor off and put it on David, and David couldn't wear it because he said, this doesn't fit me. Better than any Italian suit or anything ever made for you, the full armor that God will give you is made to your specifications. And beyond that sword of the spirit, there is a full shield from the top of your head to your feet that when the enemy comes, not only are you pulling out the word, you've got something to hide behind to be able to get rid of all of those things as the enemy tries to swing. He's not soft. He comes hard. But God has given you an armor and a faith and a great cloud that will not fail. Armor up. Number two, know who you are. Beloved, there is nothing that is more detrimental to the community of God in Christ than for believers who do not know or do not remember who they are. I don't care what anyone has ever spoken over you, what lies have been spoken to you, what you've spoken over yourself. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a man of God, a woman of God, forgiven by God, saved by grace through faith, loved by God. Every hair on your head is numbered. Psalm 139 says, before the foundations of the world, he knew you and called you. You are not a sellout. You are not cheap. You are not an artificial person. You are my brother and sister in Christ. You are worthy of honor. There's a place waiting for you in heaven. You are not going to give up or give in. God loves you, knows you, values you, died for you, and you need to stand up and you need to remember that, not only in the good times, but in the hard times. Remember who you are. Armor up fully. Know who you fight for and who you fight with. Every legion has a commander. Your commander-in-chief is the Lord of Heaven's armies is the great I am, is the one that was and is and is to come, is the shepherd and bishop of souls, is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, is the king, is the one that will come in and judge the living and the dead, the one that will ride in on a white horse. Employ the weapons of prayer and spiritual disciplines, my friends. Fasting, praying, prayer, worship, all employ them because they will build you up. And finally, dear friends, hear this. Hear this from me. You've got to find rest. Rest is different than sleep. How many of you have ever had eight or nine hours of sleep and woken up and still been tired? That's because there's something else in you that's not rested. 
You can sleep, but sleep and rest are two different things. Psalm 23 tells us to rest in the presence of God. There's a lot of things that are battling against you and your families as they are battling against me. But as we armor up, as we rest, as we listen to our great commander, as we stand firm, as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, so I speak to you. God is calling us in this season to know who we are, not out of arrogance or pride, but out of the fullness of the reality that we are called to be uh, soldiers in the army of God. You are beloved, and the world and the church and the army of God needs you. And so God... You who are our commander, you who are the one that calls us as you called the Ephesians and as you've called every church body since to rise up, we call to you today, Lord God, and we surrender ourselves to you. For the person that's in this space who is struggling, Lord God, who doesn't know where they fit in you, help them to hear the clarion call that they are beloved, that they are known, that they are seen, and that they can reach out to you. Help us to love, to serve, to protect, to forgive, to walk in grace, and to care well for each other. Lord God, until you return, help us to stand firm, to pray for the church worldwide, to pray for all the saints, to pray for this beloved church, to pray for our pastors, to shepherd and guard and protect our children and our families. And more than anything, God, help us to stand firm in this last and evil day, even when our knees are knocking with the full armor of God on, trusting that you will protect us and that you will come back for us, Lord that we will stand faithful. Casualties there may be, but Lord, we thank you that what we lose on this side, you will raise up on the other side. You said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. So we lift you up today, King. We lift you up. Have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all who would agree would say, amen.